Well, today our guest is another one of those exciting riders that has had a very long career. I remember meeting him back in the Tour of California in 2008. I went over and shook his, shook his hand and just wanted to introduce myself because I knew I wasn't going to be in the Peloton much longer and wanted to meet this rock star before I uh, went over to the other side of the barriers. So please sit back, relax, and listen to our great conversation with Edvald Bosenhagen. All right, Edvald Bosenhagen, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Nice to be asked to join your podcast. <laughs> well, well, thanks for coming on, number one. Um, looking forward to this for a long time because I don't know if you remember this, but I raced the 2008 Tour of California with you, and I had heard a lot about you going up to that point. And I had realized, remember, Tour of California back then was in February. And I realized in that race, I'm like, I'm done. Like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. But two young talents, ironically, from the same team, your team, T-Mobile, was Mark Cavendish and yourself. And I remember going up to you and introducing myself because I just wanted to meet you. So, man, thanks for coming on our podcast because it's been a while. I mean, we saw each other, at, you know, a little bit there at, at the Team Sky Days. But, um, yeah, man, this is going to be this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Nice to hear your story from back 2008. <laughs> is there any is there any young rider? I mean, now you're a, an aged pro in the peloton. Uh, you've done this for over a decade and a half. Do you ever have that sort of feeling when you're around some of these young guys? Because let's face it, they are young. I mean, you were a, you were super young when you came, you know, to tour California as well. But are there any kids like that where you're just like, man, I don't know. I want to go and introduce myself to this guy. Well, maybe I should do, but uh, I haven't done much. But uh, they are super strong, all of the young riders now. I and mean, it's really high level from straight from straight from the start of you and winning Tour de France and it's not when I started and was really young I heard when you are 30 then you can start doing really, really well in uh, in uh, big classics and things like that but now when you are 30 you are really old and soon finished so it's changed a lot since uh, since that time I think so how, how do you keep yourself ready and fit also mentally ready to battle against these kids i mean some of them they are what like 10 12 years younger than you what do you do you train any different or you have a different mental setup or how do you um live up to the challenge by these young kids well it's i'm always motivated actually to train and do my best for to be as ready as possible for racing but uh I have to face that sometimes when the sprints are crazy or when it's really hectic into finals or, and things like that, maybe I use the brakes a little bit more than uh, some of other riders. But uh, I think that's part of getting a bit older and also sometimes to feel when the ner nervousity is too big. And uh, But uh, I'm still enjoying every race and... Uh, I really like to to compete, and uh, it's no problem. Go out to ride six hours, do all the training that needs to be done, and always enjoyed training a lot. 
But it's funny talking to you because you were one of those wonder kins that came out that were super young, super successful. Um, I mean, you were even being compared to Eddie Merckx, like your second year or third year as a pro. And the one race that really sticks out to me, and I actually talked to George Hincapie about this this morning, was the 2009 Gent-Wevelgem. Uh, what are your memories? Before I share what, what, what George said, what are your memories of that race? Because that's really where it was like, holy cow, Edvald is, is, is one talented young kid. I just remember it was really bad weather, windy, not a lot of motivation in the bus. And the plan was to ride for uh, Cavendish. And I was just really happy to be at the start line and was supposed to try to be, I think, just to be in the front and maybe jump a few times, but end up, or end up. <laughs> But no, I was uh, in the early breakaway and just was going full gas from start, I think, and nobody catched us again. And I was uh, feeling really well that day in the, <laughs> on the, in towards the end and cobble, uh, on the cobblestones and everything. So it was nice, uh, nice memories. So, yeah. Well, let me tell you what George said. So <laughs> you're... Something different? No, 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 no. <laughs> he said it was amazing. Like like you said, the weather was terrible. A breakaway of like 20 some odd guys went up and um, you were like looking after him. Do you need a bottle? Do you need any food? Do you need your rain jacket? And George was just like, you know, after the second or third time, he came up to you and was like, hey, man, um, you should just look after yourself because you look a lot better than I feel. And then you you looked at him and said, really? And then the next time you guys, you attacked up the camel and then it was, was all over. So he was like, yeah, I, I knew I need to let him off the leash that day, but he was doing everything to, to help me. So pretty, pretty cool memory. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's it good memories, but my memory is uh, really bad to remember in details, every race and uh, stages and things like, things like that. But it's a good, good memory to think back to, uh, to get to again. That's a big, big one for me. And it's um, nice, nice one already. For sure it was. And Edvard, you, you were really successful at a young age. I mean, I saw you winning sprints, like real sprints. I saw you winning time trials and you were also pretty good in the mountains. At one moment, you decided in what kind of rider you want to develop. Sprinter, classics, hunter, stage hunter, or for GC riding. Did you have a chance to decide or did it just develop somehow automatically when and how did that happen i think i've just been training a bit of everything and enjoying being a classic classic rider and all-rounder and not been really specific to to anything but maybe during yeah, in the start i was just training everything to be best more as possible in everything and maybe more in sky i was doing more I was developing a bit more towards climbing and not as punchy sprinter type, but as I was still trying to sprint and training to be as best as possible there. So I think I've always been doing bits of everything actually. And like, like you do when you are a all round classic guy, as a classic rider, you need to be able to do everything apart from 
the big mountains and I've never been doing the really big mountains. So that's maybe the lack. And now the later years I've been doing less and less time trials training because now you need to be super specific and, uh, and I'm not really arrow. My shoulders is, is not getting uh, one arrow even by breaking the collarbones a few times. So it's not, not helping anything. So it's better to stay away now from time trials more than you have to just ask me. Knowing you a little bit from time we spent together, you always came off as being the most relaxed rider I'd ever seen in the bus. Maybe, maybe Rigoberto Oran would be the only one that was a little bit even more relaxed than you, like, cause he'd be sleeping the whole time. <laughs> but, you know, you won stages of the Tora Avenir in, in the beginning part of your career. You've won stages in, in the Tour de France. You've had to deal with pressure, but it never seemed like it really manifested to you, I don't know, blowing up, getting angry, um, you know, getting aggressive, whatnot. How do you think that you've been able to circumnavigate the different stages of pressure that you've had uh, during during your career? Because you don't really ever show it no, if you are feeling pressure at all. <laughs> I think it's just the natural habit from me. I'm just never really stressed. And even the pressure I have, or it doesn't help to put pressure because I always want to do my best anyway. And it's not like I'm not doing my best because I don't want to do it. Then it's because I don't can't do better. And it, the pressure not helping anyway. So it's just being relaxed is, is the way I am. And uh, I think it's, yeah, like I said, just natural from me. And uh, so it's not that I need to deal with something special. And But I get angry sometimes, and, but I'm not showing it too much. And, <laughs> and then I'm holding it maybe more inside and can be really quiet. And sometimes I can be angry, but then it has to be in the right moments. And I think I'm also a different person when I'm on the bike in the peloton and if something happens there, I can be quite angry and I'm not the guy who just be pushed away all the time or I like to say when some people does something wrong, I like to tell them also when it's really wrong. <laughs> so, but it has to be for a reason. It's not like just like a small dog that's barking. It's, <laughs> it's a reason. Often when I'm angry. So I'm, I'm talking pressure. You you won a stage um, in the Giro and I think three in the Tour. Are you if you put pressure on yourself to try the triple to get one in the Vuelta España or is that not at all in your plans? Uh, I never done or I've done the Vuelta, but not been able to win any stage. And I've been trying or just done it two times, but I prefer to do Tour de France more than, or I prefer to do just one Grand Tour in a year. And then I prefer to do Tour de France instead of Vuelta. So that's the reason I haven't done many of them. And uh, yeah, whether you don't do many, it's less chances to win as well. So uh, it's a reason, that's the reason. And uh, the Giro, I also done only one, one and a half time or something. So. But I was lucky to win. And also, 
do really well with the team and uh, time trial or team time trial win as well. So uh, that year was a nice year for uh, for me and the team in HSC. It's good memories from there as well. That's that's great. <laughs> so we're going to talk about this year's Tour de France pretty soon, but I need to go back to another one of those races that really sticks out in my mind, which was during the 2011 Tour de France. Stage 16, you're up there in the front with your fellow countrymen, our friend, Torhuschoft and Ryder Heisdahl. And you didn't win. Torhuschoft won. Um, it seemed like you were the strongest on that day. Um, can you do you have any memories of that finish? Because this is kind of a two part thing. Because you lost the tour, and then the next day you go into the breakaway and you you won. But how is it coming into a stage of the Tour de France with all the lights turned on with your fellow countrymen, uh, Tor Hushoft? No, it's it's that stage I remember remember well, and that's one example on when when I get angry and inside myself and just want to show everyone that I should have won the, the day before, but I was just, I was looking the wrong way and was not focused in the right moment when he he started the sprint and I was too late and I'm still angry on myself, but it's not bad to win against Thor or I mean lose against Thor. He's, he's a great, uh, great cyclist, so I'm not angry on them any other than myself and blame myself so but uh, the next day I really want to get in the break and, and I was really motivated and I think I had a lot of energy and I was in pretty much every um, attack that day from the start and I was not feeling tired at all so it was a good good day the next day so that made up for for it that uh, really made, a, made up for it so that was great, and uh, in general, it was good Tour de France for for me and also for Tour. And uh, we had a lot, of, lot of fun for Norwegian cycling fans, I think. For sure, and winning a Tour stage is still something special. I, I mean, I, I always I, I felt that way. It, 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 you know, things will be remembered for a long, long time. Like maybe you won the Grand Prix Ringerik in Norway once. But if you, uh, you know, in 20 years you show up at a bike race, you go, and here's Edvald, former winner of the Tour de France stage. You probably don't say, oh, he's the winner of Ringerike Grand Prix, you know? So the tour is always something um, special. Do you feel the same about it? Or you go, nah, it's just another win. No, I feel the same. It's always more nice to win big races, of course. It's, uh, it's natural. But I'm really happy of all all my victories, but it's it is uh, the Tour de France ones that stands out a lot. So, Edvald, you've obviously had a successful career. Talking about wins, you've had over eighty of them. But this sport is quite brutal. It can be a absolute roller coaster of emotions, form, motivation. What were some of the biggest challenges that you had to face during your career so far? Uh, I think the biggest challenges are injuries and uh, 
the one that's most uh it's not a lot of injuries but i had the uh, achilles um inflammation in the achilles so that's been a challenge for me in the early early days and often during the classics so that's i think uh, mainly the challenge because it's injury when you don't really know where it comes from and how to deal with it and what to do so i think that's most most frustrating because if you crash and break a collarbone or something it's just then for sure it's broken and it heals itself and uh, it's all all good after but when you have information it's you don't know where it comes from or yeah what to do then that's frustrating and takes often a long time and the habit of cyclists especially me or i think in general you want to try and see how it is and maybe that's the thing many riders do wrong to just keep sparking into the inflammation a little bit every day to see where how much you can train and how much it's better to just rest and make the body heal but it's so easy to say when you are when you are healthy and but if you are in the situation it's hard to deal with so uh, my advice to young riders with problems listen to your body more than try to just test if it's uh, painful or push it till it's painful because it often takes longer time so that's what i most frustrating but now i'm learned and listen more to the body i think what was the longest time you were forced to be off the bike a month or two months or any number you remember i wasn't really that's maybe the problem i wasn't really off off <laughs> so i was always doing a little bit but i came almost good and back again and but i missed uh some classics i did uh, in some years so it was three times i've been having achilles problems in yeah two times one leg and one the other one so now i know what to search for when it is a problem so uh, it's better to listen but uh Luckily, not been too much off the bike actually with the injuries and problems. So, but it is frustrating when it comes. That's a great piece of advice for young riders that are watching or listening. Um, time off, let it heal. You don't always have to keep testing it to see if it hurts because guess what? It's probably going to keep hurting until you take time off the bike to let it heal. <laughs> but um, let's talk about 2023 Tour de France. You're heading off to, I believe, your 13th Tour de France in a couple of weeks. Um, how are you feeling? And what do you think about that tricky start there in, in the Basque country? Uh, well, I'm not officially, I think the team isn't announced yet. So, but I'm preparing and hopefully I'm, uh, I'm in the selection and uh, that's been my plan from the start of the year. And I think it's still the plan from the team so uh, I cross my fingers and getting ready and hope hope to be on the start line in uh, in the Basque country and uh, but I've not been doing uh, the many races in uh, in Bilbao or Basque so I don't know the 
course a lot, but uh, I heard it's hard and uh, the profiles seems to be hard. So um, it's probably some other stages that will fit me better. But uh, it's I think it's also could be good to have uh, the start there instead of totally flat and super nervous start. So it's maybe it's better for for the peloton in in general. I think. Well, one thing I can guarantee you, you will love the fans. The Basque cycling fans are absolute passionate about it and they cheer you on if you're leading the race or if you're dead last. They just still love you regardless. They're yeah. superb fans. Um, so that's that's a good thing. And yeah. I guess I had totally have to agree. It's better to have a rougher, a tougher start. Um, we just talked about it a little bit. We expect maybe 50 riders for the first stage and then you have that um, the climb in there the Jeske Bell from the San Sebastian race maybe only 15 riders go yeah. together to the finish line on day, day two so definitely will spread out and should make it a little safer for everyone a little more relaxed right I hope so but uh, you never know And uh, but I think for sure it's no question about it's going to be a harder hard race and uh, hopefully getting through it's, but it's not that long climb, so but it can be hard enough anyway. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think it will be good. And uh, like you said, the uh, spectators are are crazy there. And I don't some races, so I know know the Basque uh, spectators are are crazy, and uh, it's really really fun to ride there. So so that's that's nice. So you ride for a French team, Total Energies. You did the Dauphiné this year, which they always seem to throw in some of the uh, climbs and stages in the Dauphiné that are also in the Tour. But as a French team, do you guys do any specific recon camps for the, with the Tour de France in mind? Uh, I have not been doing any special recon camps, and uh, but some of the riders been on altitude camps and maybe done some recon. But uh, that's more for the GC and more climbing, climbing guys. So, uh, but I've been home preparing uh, well at home in Norway and uh, and trained trained well and felt uh, good in uh, Dauphiné. So uh, that's that's the way I always done and uh, keep keep doing. So it's a really nice team. I enjoy being on the team and I have quite a lot of freedom. So. I can do what I want also. So that's great as well. So um, Tour de France coming up now. What would be your personal goal or objective? Trying to win yet another stage or helping your teammates win or maybe helping one of your guys run the top 10 in GC or you take it day by day? Uh, yes, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. So... Uh... The dream is always trying to win stages, but it's getting harder and harder every year. And it's a lot of strong riders, but if you get in the right breakaway and the right day, and uh, then it's everything is possible. So of course, that's my dream and the goal, but as I say, it's hard. And uh, then the next job for me is to help my other teammate to, yeah, in for placing into, uh, breakaways and yeah, do everything I can to help help them as much as possible and 
it depends what what the plan is for the team every uh, for every day so it's a little bit day by day and that's the way i've been riding most most years as well just one day by day or i'm often i just look through the book when i get it and see oh this is this and and then put it in my backpack and then open it every day before the next day so uh that's uh, my preparation and I've not been looking much through the stages now either. So I'm, I'm as prepared as always. <laughs> that's a little, that's a little old school at Vault. You know, these kids are using all these I have to sell out viewers I'm and stuff. Well-a-viewer. So I look in the book and using Wellaviewer. So I prepare really well the day before the stage, but I'm not looking through one week in advance to see every stage it's enough with one stage but then i do proper proper work so i am prepared and professional that way so nobody can say not that i'm not professional in that way <laughs> no no not at all i i think bobby <laughs> and me we were different i always liked the idea of not putting too much mental rubbish yeah. into my brain so one day at a time and Bobby yeah. will have one year at a time we were still different yeah. that's why we getting along so well because we are still different <laughs> bobby and me but but you mentioned again. something, yep. And and to that point, you mentioned something. It kind of reminded me of something that a lot of Scandinavian riders they don't live at home. You know, they they have a flat down in Italy or Spain. You know, somewhere nice and warm. But correct me if I'm wrong. But you've always been based out of Norway throughout your whole career, correct? Yeah, it's correct. So always lived in Norway, and. Uh... But I also have been a lot of training camps, and uh, but uh, the latest years I've been uh, training quite a lot in Spain as well in the winter with the the family of my wife have a house there, so we've been going there during the winter. So then it's been a lot in uh, November, December in Spain, but always been living otherwise in uh, in Norway, and always enjoyed being in Norway. I, I like home. <laughs> so you you born in um, well I cannot even pronounce that name really uh, Rutbuk or whatever that is called Lillehammer um, sorry it's correct Rutbuk yeah but it's close to Lillehammer exactly I was nice just place. about to get there Lillehammer is famous for the Winter Olympics so Edward how is your skiing these days I mean as a kid as a younger man you must have done a lot of skiing in the winter months right because us from the so called south of Europe. Um, we think you got like five months of snow and winter there. Is that correct? Mm, it's getting less and less snow. So, but I did a lot of uh, cross-country skiing before, and I still like to do it when it is snow and it's it is good training. So I do a lot, uh, a lot of skiing still. So uh, that's that's great. But before I was competing as well in uh, cross-country skiing. You were you ever competing in cross-country skiing? Yeah, I did until I was uh, 16, 16, 17. I was competing and then, but I was, cycling was more and more fun. So less and less training on skis and then the technique was not good enough anymore. And uh, yeah, started winning or more and more cycling and got professional. Then no, no reason to do skiing anymore. So did you ever dream of participating in the Vasa Lopet? 
that famous run we have in Sweden, or you go, nah, that's 100 kilometers, that's too much for me? Or did, did it ever cross your mind to maybe go there one day? Well, I think I can do it when I get uh, get retired. It's, it's time enough, So, but I never dreamed about it, and I think I will more uh, like to enjoy skiing just relaxed and no competing. When I'm done competing, I think I'm really, really done, but I still enjoy, but when I'm done, it's just for recreation training and that's it. I think I will be uh, quite happy with that life as well. My my new motto yes. in me. <laughs> my, my motto recently at Vault is part- participation in pleasure rather than placing in pain. So when I do go out and work out, I just want to go out and have have fun. But hey, I'm going to take advantage of this situation. We know that you are a very proud Norwegian. Norway is one of my favorite countries, but I'm not sure if many of our listeners or viewers have been to Norway. So in your opinion, what if what when they visit Norway, now that they are listening to the Bobby and Jens podcast, they're going to put it on their bucket list. What should they do or what should they see in Norway? What do you what would you suggest when your friends come up to Norway for the must do's when they're there? Well, it's a hard one. I'm always going to France in my holidays. So, <laughs> shit. Or not my holidays. I mean, when I do Tour de France, <laughs> when everyone else has, has holidays, I'm going to uh, Tour de France. But uh, I think if you like uh, in the winter, everyone wants to see the northern light in the north of Norway. And it's really nice uh, landscape. But personally, I've not been a lot in the north of Norway. And, and I'm not been there i've seen the northern light but that was in lillehammer so you don't have to go super north if but i was lucky to see it there but uh i think uh, if you go really far far to the north to lofoten and see the high mountains and straight down to the fjords it's it's nice and and all the fjords uh on the uh, coast of norway is is beautiful when it's the correct weather of course but that's Every country is more nice when it's nice weather, but maybe it's a bit more limited in Norway. And we'll be right back after this short break. Now, back to our chat with Edvard. Hey, um, Edvard, now that we talk about Norway, I remember um, Tor Hushoff. He often got these cliche questions, like about Norway and being so lonely and empty. And then one day he had enough and he took to the journalist and said, okay, listen, here's how I go to the airport. I take my skis, then I take the dog sled for another three miles. Then I take the bloody reindeer, ride on a reindeer for another hundred miles. And then I see the first car in my life. Like, no, Norway is a civilized country. We have cars and we have, you know, everything like you have. Do you get questions like that as well about Norway, that people think Norway is like such a remote country so far away behind the moon uh, it's less and less but i do you understand what uh, what he's saying it's some people think it's the ice bears uh yeah exactly on the streets ice bears on the streets i know <laughs> but it's not not that often so uh, or it doesn't happen at all so it's uh but it is some people thinking that but it, it's less and less people and i think more and more people traveling more so it's it's normal to know but it's it's crazy how people think at times. 
So what what do you do off off the bike, Edvald? Like what are your, what are your hobbies? What do you enjoy doing other than living like a monk and riding five to eight hours a day? What else is in the life of Edvald Bolsenhagen that we should know? And uh, now it's a lot of uh, time with my daughter when I'm home. I got uh, she's two years now, so I enjoy being with her when I'm not on the bike or out racing. And uh, but as a, it's not that's not my hobby because <laughs> but it takes up a lot of time anyway. So and it's it's nice and I enjoy it. Uh, but as a hobby, it's always hard when you get that question because it's. Not a lot of time you have, actually. It's, you think you have a lot of time when you ride there, but most of the time goes with the bike, and when you're not on a bike, you eat or you sleep. But uh, I'm with friends, and I like to... I don't know if it's a hobby. I just like to make things sometimes. <laughs> when it was Corona, I like the welding my barbecue uh, table and some uh, furniture for my garden. But I think during Corona, everyone was doing a lot of crazy stuff. So, uh, but I like <laughs> like doing that, but it's no no time to do much more. So uh, that's nothing I've done a lot uh, lately, but it's uh, doing, keeping the house tidy and the garden, and it, then it's not much time more. After that, um, I remember also uh, probably Bobby as well. Sometimes after a training or races, you just also brain dead. You just don't have energy. You know, yeah. you lay on bed and you go, "Okay, I would have one hour of time now before whatever. I have to go to massage or fix my bike." But in that one hour, you're just so tired from the hard training or the hard race. You go, oh, "I just want to lay on bed and don't do anything." So yes, I can totally understand that during an active probably- career. Not yeah, much time. We're wrong to say uh, the kids take up a lot of time because I think Jens, you, you have a bit more uh, <laughs> more yeah. 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 So yes, uh, I should not say anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's a nice time. That's for sure. Yeah. I've been retired now for a while and I try to think back to where you all are, Edvald. And I'm like, how did I mow the lawn or go to the grocery store or drop packages off at the, you know, the, 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 um, USPS or FedEx thing, because I just don't remember doing much more than eating, sleeping, riding my bike and yeah, watching the kids. Um, (laughs) if I could call it that loosely. So yeah, I know what you're going through, man. But it's nice time. Um, I'm enjoying everything and it's been part of the life for many years and still think I will do it for some more years. So it's great life. And I think as a cyclist, you have to enjoy while you can as well. It's not, it's not forever. And um, your daughter is three years old now, you said? Uh, two years. Just two years. Two. Uh, so it's, she might just starting with one of these Strider bikes, right? Yeah, she's uh, just uh, walking, walking with a bike, not uh, lifting her yeah. feet. Really no, lot, fantastic. Yeah. But, uh, I'm so trying. Yeah. <laughs> Are you <laughs> looking forward? Looking forward to go on little bike yeah. tours with her because that's so cute. Yeah. No, it is. I'm looking forward to every every moment with that. So um it's great. Well, let's get back a little bit more to the biking world now that we've reminisced about 
what we try to do and fail at most of the time, which is parenting. But, um, you know, our friend, your countryman, Kurt Asla Arvison, is now running the team Uno X professional cycling team, uh, made, made up mostly of Danish and Norwegian riders with a, they're, they're doing quite well, let's say that. Um, what young riders, Norwegian riders, do you have your eye on that will be able to come up and take the place of, of yourself once you do uh, retire from the sport? Well, they have a lot of uh, young, strong riders, but uh, I think uh, yeah, the rider recently just uh, won uh, the Giro, the under twenty three Giro. He was, but he's not in Nuremberg, but it's uh, Johannes. He's uh, he's really super strong, so um, that's a uh, rider to uh, to watch out for, and I think. Uh, to be asked, Johansson is uh, is a rider that we're gonna see a lot, but it's not in my uh, that's gonna take my my role in cycling. I think because they are more driver driver styles. So um, it's uh, but I think uh, it's a lot of young talent, and it's nice to follow the the team. It's uh, they're doing well, and it's uh, it is nice. I was hoping 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 excuse me, <laughs> that you would mention the, the rider that recently won the time trial in the Balawas Belgium tour, because uh, I can pronounce his first name, but there is no way in hell I can pronounce his last name. His first name is Soren, and you pronounce his last name? Raden Schultz. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, he's, wouldn't have uh, come close. he's really strong. So uh, that's, uh, that's a rider to watch out for as well. So... Uh, but it's uh, it is uh, the future of cycling in Norway. I think it's it's really good, and in Denmark, it's it's crazy. It's it's <laughs> they are really good now. So uh, I think uh, the future of Unox is going to be uh, be uh, really well. But Ed, um, Edvald, you are aware of the fact that you one of him or. Alexander Kristoff and Tohoshov, you paved the way for this team to happen, for the young kids. You made it look cool and spectacular with your Tour de France wins. Are you aware of that? Or you go, oh, I never thought of that. Because do you have all the reasons in the world to be really proud that you helped Norwegian cycling to develop in the way it does in the moment? Well, it's nice you saying it that way. And it's not that I've been really thinking, thinking about it. But when you say it's... I, I won't say I'm the reason because they have been working hard with the you know X and the guys behind it the team but uh, of course it helps when it's uh, it's riders from Norway that's uh, doing well and uh, Tor and Kurt as well is uh, making the path and for sure Alexander Christoph as well has been a big part of it and uh, it is nice to see that it's developing so many many riders and. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm uh, looking forward to see how they can ride in uh, now when they do Tour de France as well, when they're going to start there soon. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, super exciting. But you had a very similar response to Dog Otto Lauritsen, who I rarely get like nervous or really super excited. Um, but Dog Otto was like one of my heroes, and he had a very similar response, like, 
you know, hey, that's nice that you say that, but I, that wasn't really what I was thinking of. And now you're playing it forward to the next generation. And yeah. you mentioned it, and it's obvious. Why are so many good riders coming out of Denmark and Norway right now? I mean, it is, it's, it's unreal. Like every time you look, it's either a Norwegian flag or a Danish flag next to the name of the person that, that, that won the race. You know, we've heard about the Norwegian training method. Um, like what, what, what is, what are you guys up there in Scandinavia doing differently or better? Because we need to get it over here to the U S and maybe in Germany as well. Cause we're not having as many stars as you guys are. Well, I think in general, Norwegian people are just enjoying training and training a lot of hours. Yeah. I think it's basically, or many riders do, uh, many hours for, and I think I'm not the training guy that's going to say, <laughs> I'm just doing what I get told to do. So I'm the wrong person to ask actually, probably, but <laughs> in general, uh, I feel the mental, uh, mentality of, uh, trainers and riders is to train a lot. And I always say train a lot and have fun on your bike, but that's more to young kids before they get pro but that's really important to, uh, to have fun on the bike but uh when you get pro well i think it's just it helps also with when some ride is doing well and the snowball effect or that's probably nothing you say in <laughs> which but uh yeah that it gets turning and it's a lot of uh, the momentum uh, gets the momentum gets, yes yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, that helps a lot when some other riders making the butt and, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure why, but uh, something is correct. Uh, for sure. They do something right in Denmark on all the climbing. Yeah, I don't find any climbs in Denmark, but, uh, somehow they can climb as well. So now that we talked about you, hopefully going to the tour, um, that um, finish is, finishes in Paris, as always. Next year in Paris, there is another event, the Olympics. Are you keeping an eye on that? You go, nah, I'm too old for that. Leave it to the young kids. Or you go, yeah, I would love to have one more go and be part of the team. Well, what's your point on there? Uh, if I'm uh, in shape, I would like to go. And uh, my goal is to continue for two more years. If... Uh, so that's that's my plan, and when I'm in shape, I want to do Olympic. But it's not like I'm training a lot for it now. It's more if I'm in shape and I get selected, I'm more than happy to go, and I would like to go because it is something special to participate in Olympic. But it's like I say, it's I've been in a few Olympics, and I know what it is about. But it's it's it is nice to uh, to be there, but I don't, and I won't be selected anyway if I'm not informed. But if I'm not informed, I wouldn't uh, like to go anyway. <laughs> well, I have a question for you about recovery because you said you do a lot of miles, and these young kids are doing a lot of miles, and there's so many little recovery devices out there. When you get back from a ride, what is your favorite recovery protocol? What little gadget? do you use or you still get come home and sit on the couch sort of guy 
Um, maybe I'm old school. I'm, uh, my recovery device is food. Eat. <laughs> okay. Eat. <laughs> food. Relax on the couch. So I don't have uh, many devices. I use the foam roller sometimes, but it's not a lot. It, when I have a problem or just before it develops any problems, I'm using the foam roller to lie on that a little bit. But otherwise, it's not uh, too much time on gadgets. It's... Uh, but in the bus, on long transfers, I use, um, what's call them, the space boots or air. Uh, uh, it's a compression or recovery compression. Recovery boots, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe, and that uh, massage gun thing. So I have as well. And if I have some pain in the muscles, I use that massage, uh, yeah, massage gun. So, but otherwise, I'm not uh, too much into those gadgets. I like all the gadgets, but not. Uh, it's more phones and cameras and those kinds of gadgets. <laughs> Dang it, Yenzi! I was hoping that he would like spill some new recovery technique. No, he's from like Norway. Me. He's like me, just half my age. <laughs> he goes, yeah. nah, no, nah, not too much technical gadgets. I like that. Yeah. I really like that. And at what I can tell you, when your kids get older. Um, you know, when you walk off your bike, your cleats make a certain noise on the tarmac. Well, my kids heard the noise, the click, the click of my cleats on the on the way to a garage. They came running out of the house. Dad, we want to go ice cream. Dad, we want to go zoo. Dad, we want to go play soccer. <laughs> so there was a recovery out of the window immediately. You will yeah. experience that in a minute, I think. Or maybe this summer when she starts to walk properly, she goes, Dad, let's do this. Let's do this. So your recovery will be next to zero. It's it's a chance, but it needs to just stay focused and professional. So uh, I will. I have a good wife too. So uh, hopefully we will uh, keep recovery well anyway. So uh, that's the goal. But it's also nice to, it is nice to have a recovery ride to have some ice cream. It's also important. It's important for the head to recover well that way and not be all about cycling. I think it's, it's important to have uh, some to divide it a bit. It's more more important than always be on top of all the gadgets and numbers and things like that. I'm I'm almost never open my training peaks or look into numbers. I I do what I get told to do and I do it correct and I tell if something feels wrong. But otherwise, and then that uh, if everything feels okay, it's good. And if if not, I tell my trainer and maybe need more recovery or change the training. So I'm into training that way, but I never make my own plans other than say this and this could be good. And he makes the plan and and I perform what's described in the training piece. <laughs> okay, so oh, quite relaxed compared to you probably, Bobby. Oh no, no! I, I I see both sides of the coin these days. That's for sure. But you, you know, you got to face it. These young kids are totally coming in at a at a different level. But when you talk with your trainer, one of the things that you have to have is a goal. Like, why else train unless you have a goal? So, what are the goals that you have in the remainder of your career? Is there anything that's missing? It's a lot missing, uh, or. I'm not world champion, so that's something, of course, 
missing, but I have to face that I'm getting older and it's less and less chance. So, but that's always a dream, but it's, yeah, I'm not giving up, but it's uh, less chances. So it's not that we make the plan just to get to that point. It's more trying to win win any race again. It starts to be too long ago, so it needs to I need to win something and that's the my goal now in general. But I'm still even then I'm still motivated to always train and do my best and also to help as good as possible for the team when when needed. But I also have my own goals sometimes, but I'm happy when someone in the team can achieve their goal with my help. It's I'm also getting happy by that way. So with the Tour de France being just around the corner, what type of stage would you think suits you the best? A complete flat sprinter day and you just battle it out with Cavendish and Jesper uh, Philipson or Kaspar Asgrain or medium range and you go on a break or what do you think is at your age at your stage of your shape of your career at this moment what would be your best stages it's uh, definitely when it's medium medium hard stages in the right breakaway and not too, too strong riders that yeah that's the best when you end up in the breakaway with uh, medium medium good riders and I'm the strongest and can uh, win from the sprints. But the problem is that it's non-riders that are medium good in the tour. So <laughs> that's hard to find them. But uh, that's the dream, of course. But uh, it is uh, it is the dream to try to win one, uh, one of the stages. And uh, like I said earlier, it's not, I've not been looking through the book and stages yet. And... Uh, but I will find something that will suit me and I will go all in to get in the break and and be there and do hopefully all the correct things. I was close last year, but was hesitating a little bit too much and lost the win chance of winning one stage where I felt I was really, really close. So hopefully I don't do that mistake again. Well, you know, Alexander Kristoff uh, took a role over at Kurt's team, Team Uno X, would would that interest you um, towards the the twilight of your career to maybe be involved with a Norwegian team as a as a role model, as a mentor? It is uh, something I'm thinking about and happy to do if if uh, they want me in, and uh, it's I'm uh, happy to come if uh, I need to talk with uh, with them as well. But I'm. As I said that, I'm really happy also with uh, Total Energy. So, but I'm out of contract for for now and uh, and open for for everyone that that wants me to uh, have an older old man in the team and uh, experience. So we'll see. And I'm talking to to some teams as well. So uh, we will see what uh, the future will bring. But definitely, I think. As I said, UNOX is a nice team and uh, it's nice to follow their uh, steps they're doing slowly and it is uh, something that could be potential really well uh, or good for me if if it's the right one. 
So hopefully then we will have you back as a guest next year with a same team or new team and you tell us all about how that happened. That would be nice. And we invite you back and you tell us how it all goes. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to come. If, as long as I'm a rider or whatever, it's also with Hydra people in your podcast. But uh, hopefully I will be, uh, be a rider still then. Well, Edvald, it's been a blast. You've given all the cycling fans out there a lot to watch and a lot to cheer for over the years. And um, yeah, go up to that young rider. Introduce yourself. I bet you you'll uh, you'll be amazed how that feels because you know sooner or later we're all bike fans. You know, once the once the career ends. So, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on Bobby and Jens today. Thank you. It was nice to join you. Well, Yenzi, what a what a cool chat, but man, Edvald is just one mellow dude, isn't he? Yes, he is, and maybe that's uh, part of the reason why his career is such a long career, that he just does not let unnecessary stress touch him. You know, he goes, nah, I'm just going to build this wall against stress, and I'm just going to live my life my way, and that's what made him ending up with more than 80 wins and having a very long career. Well, apart from being hugely talented, of course. Yeah, I really like what he said about um, dealing with injury and how he's learned to take time away. I think a lot of those things, and I mean, we saw it on the Net Netflix Unchained episodes with a rider, Ben O'Connor, basically with a torn muscle and his DS who never raced the Tour de France before was kind of giving him pressure to work through it. Oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. But Edvold was absolutely right. Like a broken collarbone is a broken collarbone. You know it's going to be two to three weeks, right? Then you're going to be back on the bike. But with some of these soft tissue injuries and muscle tears, it's just so unfair that just because it's not broken doesn't mean that it's not there and it isn't painful or you know very difficult to pedal. Correct. And as Edward uh, did uh, point out, in the end, in the long term, you actually save time by listening to the doctor and your body in the first place. You know, give it five more days instead of losing five more weeks afterwards. I was also super happy and impressed that um, Edward used to live all his life in Norway. We don't have too many bike rides. It seems like three quarters of the peloton, they live all in Girona or, well, nowadays in Andorra. So it's good to hear that somebody of a world-class caliber still lives at home. I actually like that part quite a lot. Yeah, uh, I think you need to make a house a home. And to the young riders that are moving over to France, Spain, Italy, um, it's still not really home. And he was wise enough to to stay in Oslo and have a very long career and now raise a family. So good for him. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Huge thanks to Edvald for being our guest. Thanks for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Kirk Warner. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens. And please share your cycling stories with us.